out of the sky My dreams went crashing When you said goodbye Who'd think that after all I've been to you That you and I would be through Well, hello and welcome to the H.P. Lovecraft Book Club. Uh, in this episode, we'll be looking at Through the Gates of the Silver Key by E. Hoffman Price and H.P. Lovecraft. This was a story they collaborated on quite closely. There's a lot of evidence in the selected letters on this collaboration. So you can go back to my series on the fourth volume of the selected letters to get some of that, that history of the, both their, their relationship and, this, uh, and their cooperation on this story. Um, so obviously this is a sequel to The Silver Key. The Silver Key ends with uh, Randolph Carter vanishing into his youth, apparently, um, using this, uh, this silver key, uh, using his dreaming ability and all that. So this is set after that, and it really uh, is a, an accounting of the experiences Randolph Carter had since the, since the close of The Silver Key. Um, it was written in 1933. It was published in Weird Tales in 1934 after first being rejected by Farnsworth Wright. Um, and again, if you go back to my commentary on the letters, we know how fraught uh, Lovecraft and Farnsworth Wright's relationship was becoming at the end, or at least how frustrated Lovecraft was with uh, the weird fiction market as it stood. Um, so... Yeah, so this story, um, it does actually quite a few things. Uh, there's bits of it that are going to remind you of The Shadow Out of Time. There's certainly, it's also a dreamland story, so it kind of fits into that. But it connects, I think, to Lovecraft's broader mythos in a lot of ways. Um, it's playing with new science and new mathematics and geometry in ways that, that uh, I think Lovecraft even admitted that a lot of this was the contribution of Price, who was more into that kind of stuff. So it was kind of, Price was, was kind of playing with the, the, the rules of geometry and the rules of new science uh, to describe this experience that Randolph Carter had after, uh, his, after his vanishing uh, into apparently his youth. Now, the, the story's framed, uh, and we've seen a lot of that in the revisions. Uh, you know, since pretty much, you know, a lot of the great revisions have that nested narrative. I'm thinking the Curse of Yig sort of has it. The Mound has it. Um, I'd say even Medusa's Coil has it, you know, um, which is, you see that, in, of course, in Lovecraft stories too sometimes, but uh, it becomes a device he uses a lot in, in the revisions or seems to come up a lot in the revisions. And I don't know if that's just... Um, uh, He's not being quite as playful and creative with narrative device with these stories as he was with uh, the ones he, he bylined. Um, but anyways, it's just, uh, it works here, uh, more or less. Um, so as the story opens, uh, we're basically, it's, it's kind of, it, it starts in a really banal way. Of course, this really mysterious thing happened where Randolph Carter vanished. No one really knows where he is. And basically, the early part of the story, it makes it sound like it's, it's going to be about the estate. That's really the, what the, where the plot comes from, is a debate over the estate. You know, what happened to Randolph Carter? He's a rich man. Um, 
and he inherited, he had all this wealth and with him vanishing and not knowing if he's dead or not you know you really couldn't trigger the estate planning uh and inheritance and all of that kind of stuff so his estate was sort of in limbo and and then you know the question becomes what to do with all this stuff now the story begins with a bit of a recap of of the silver key as well just for people who maybe didn't read that it's he spends a few pages or they spend a few pages just going over what happened uh with the vanishing of randolph carter but then they jump uh pretty quickly into a meeting between different uh, groups representing different interests um and people with different stories about what happened to randolph carter so um so that's kind of the setup that's the framing mechanism and then there's kind of at the back end of the story we return to this meeting and things remain unresolved um largely because of of what happens uh in the story in the in the in the story and the revelations of that story so during the during this meeting there are basically people who who are disbelieving that randolph carter can be alive in any form and therefore want to move ahead with uh, the liquidation of the estate and you have people who believe that randolph carter is alive out there somewhere and one of these people is a man named swami chandra Puta. now this name we actually saw before he uh, he goes in uh in out of the eons he's one of the people who visits the mummy i guess that was in boston right in a museum in boston um, now that was written before this, so I don't know if Lovecraft intended that figure to be Randolph Carter, uh, or if it's just a coincidence, he liked the name, or he liked this image of this kind of, uh, mystic South, a South Asian person showing up and interested in these things. Uh, that's how he appears in out of, out of the eons, but here he's a much more central character to the story, obviously. Um, and I'll just cut to it. This story is 100 years old, so we can dispense with the spoiler warnings, I suppose. Uh, Swarmi Chandragupta Chandraputta, uh, is Randolph Carter in an alien body, in a sense. So some point during his adventures, I guess, in the dreamlands after returning to his youth, he goes on various journeys uh, through time. He spends significant, you know, centuries, uh, millennium even, in the dreamlands. Um, and ultimately he um, is thrust into an alien body. And there's something really cool here with this idea that there's infinite numbers of Randolph Carters throughout time and throughout different universes. And he can kind of put himself into different places, kind of like a multiverse story and i don't think we've really seen too much of this in lovecraft's writings it's of course a kind of a common idea now we see it all the time in them in the marvel products these days is this idea of like the multiverse um and so he's able to travel throughout the multiverse as a dreamer which i think it does add something to the dreamlands stories you always had a bit of that and certainly in the silver key this idea that you could go back to your youth through the dreamlands is was there but it's much more well-developed here. And I don't know if that's Price's contribution or Lovecraft's. I think that comes from the parts that like Price focused on writing. Um, but it's a really cool addition to the Dreamlands because Dreamlands are not just about traveling to a different world and experiencing it. It's actually about different universes and going through time and experiencing the, co the reality of the cosmos directly, which is also why many of us can't dream and can't be dreamers. 
So it's a, it's a wonderful addition. So basically, just the, the overall, what we learn is that he goes into this body of these of the, this alien body. They are the Yadith, um, and it's a monstrous body. It's kind of like the Yithians, in, in which it's like you can't really pose as a human if you're in this body. But he returns to Earth. He's finally able to escape um, Yadith, come to Earth, but he can't change his form. It's going to take him a while to do this because to turn back to his human form, he's going to have to translate some books. That's a little bit contrived, I think, that, you know, it's, I mean, I guess it works, but, you know, this idea that he can travel throughout time but in, and enter different bodies, but he can't travel and re-enter Randolph Carter's body from an earlier time. Uh, he can't do that. Instead, he has to travel as this Yadith form, and he has to disguise himself. So that's why he disguises himself as a South Asian, as an Indian guy, and he takes on this role of Swami Chandra Putra. And he's, his goal here at this meeting is essentially to tell the story of Randolph Carter as he understands it. And it's a little bit obvious because he knows all these details that it's, it's unbelievable. He could have figured out on his own anyways. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how many. He's kind of getting this all from different trinkets and books and artifacts that he dug up in his research. Um, obviously, it's just Randolph Carter telling his own story. But the, if if you take it out face value before the revelation, how does this Swami... swami know all this stuff uh you know just because he's a mystic uh, perhaps but uh you know anyways it doesn't matter because it's revealed that this is the yadith form of of randolph carter um still unable to tr affect his transformation back into human form um this revelation breaks up the meeting someone dies of horror when it's revealed who he is and he reveals his true form humans can't really see without going mad that's another old of course lovecraftian trope we see many times and you kind of have that shadow out of time uh, di dynamic where you have someone in a body of an alien right um learning things through different adventures through space and time um but it's it's i think this with shadow out of time really put lay the foundation for kind of a multiverse uh, thesis of of Lovecraft's uh, Dreamlands and his uh, his cosmos, and I think that's a lot of fun, and I'm I'm glad it was done. So this this is a story really to go to. This is a story that I think Lovecraft fans should should read if they skipped it, if they haven't been reading the revisions and the collaborations. This like with stories like Under the Pyramids or The Mound, or uh, or you know horror in the museum you know are ones that really should be on the top of your list of ones to read because it's important it kind of finishes off the randolph carter saga and he's a character we've we've come to know know so well right in his youth he he, he had a uh, his his the dream quest of unknown kadath as he aged later he, he had the silver key story um it's not quite sure where the statement of randolph carter fits in for me anyways and then you have the kind of the ending of his story and it and it's still open-ended at the end which is another great little um addition so anyways at, you know the first few chapters just deal with the framing device for the tale and then we have chandra gupta saying chandra putra um i keep wanting to say chandra gupta those were the that was the empire right in uh medieval india after the morayans i guess um and this is how the story kind of ends it actually starts with chapter three where this guy begins to tell the tale 
He says, uh, what happened then is scarcely to be described in words. It's full of these paradoxes, contradictions, and anomalies which have no place in waking life, but which fill our more fantastic dreams and are taken as matters of course till we return to our narrow, rigid, objective world of limited causation and tridimensional logic. As the Hindu continued his tale, he had difficulty in avoiding what seemed, even more than the notion of a man transferred through years to boyhood, an air of trivial, puerile extravagance. Mr. Aspinwall, in disgust, gave an apoplectic snort and virtually stopped listening, end quote. And that's, you know, you have people who just can't believe this story as it's unfolding. I mean, it's just a, the case of a disappearance, right? And he's saying, Sean Dupuytre's saying, no, this thing with the silver key, this really happened. He actually did transfer himself to another, to, uh, to the dreamlands. He's able to travel through space and time and all that. Now, there's an addition here to kind of give the story a little bit more meat uh, and flavor is a kind of a tour guide that uh, that Randolph Carter gets a guide that is going to teach him what he needs to know. So this is a useful narrative device because Randolph Carter needs to know some of these things and they're conveyed to him through through this guide. And he eventually takes him to these gates, this gate that allows him to kind of move beyond into um, into the macroverse, if you will. Um, one thing uh, the guide says, for instance, is, I am indeed the most, the most ancient one of whom you know we have awaited you, the ancient ones and I. You are welcome, even though long delayed. You have the key and have unlocked the first gate. Now the ultimate gate is ready for your trial. If you fear, you need not advance. You may still go back on harm the way you came, but if you choose to advance, and then Carter says, I will advance, and then... He enters into the ultimate gate, which basically gives him access to the entire macroverse. And I think the big important idea here is that multiple Carters exist. And this is repeated many, many times. Quote, there were Carters in settings belonging to every known and suspected age of Earth's history and a remoter ages of earthly entity transcending knowledge suspicion and credibility carters of forms both human and non-human vertebrate and invertebrate conscience and mindless animal and vegetable and more there were carters having nothing in common with earthly life but moving outrageously amid backgrounds of other planets and systems and galaxies and cosmic continua spores of eternal life drifting from world to world universe to universe yet all equally himself some of the glimpses recalled dreams both faint and vivid singular and persistent which he had through the long years since he first began to dream, and a few possessed a haunting, fascinating, almost horrible familiarity which no earthly logic could explain. So the horror here, if there is one, I mean, it's a dream one story. It's not horrific. I mean, the, the people who hear the story and see the true form of this Yadith form of Randolph Carter certainly experience horror. But the horror for Carter is the realization it's not just the dream lens that he has access to it's and it's not just that he can travel through time through the dream lens and through with the aid of the silver key it is that he can that he's not one that he has no individuality that he's exists in different forms throughout um, and this is just a way of looking at the overall indifference and massiveness and and um you know, inf infinitude of the of of the cosmos. In fact, Lovecraft says this directly, uh, or Hoffman Price, E. Hoffman Price, and Lovecraft say this directly, uh, writing in the face of that awful wonder, the quasi Carter forgot the horror of destroyed individuality. It was an all in one and 
one and all of limitless being and self. Not merely a thing of one space-time continuum, but allied to the ultimate animating existence, essence of existence's whole, unbounded sweep, the last utter sweep, which has no kind finds and which reaches fancy and mathematics alike. It was perhaps that which certain secret cults of Earth had whispered of as the Yogg-Sothoth, and which has been a deity under other names, uh, that which the crustaceans of Yugoth worship as the Beyond One, and which the vaporous brains of the spiral nebulae know as a, by the untranslated sign. Yet in a flash, the Carter Fassett realized how slight and fractional all these conceptions were. And so we get at this, in fact, he stops being Carter, and he starts being just called the Carter Fassett, like just one avatar, one reflection, one one of infinite number of angles or perspectives on Randolph Carter. Now, uh, and then we got a bunch of playing with dimensions and geometries and and new the new science stuff, which I've talked a lot about on this podcast, how the new science of the early 20th century certainly helps us contextualize Lovecraft's writings and his interest in the cosmos and his, his anxiety about like new scientific discoveries, at least in the terms of his writing, if not personally. Um, it's all here, right? Um, and it's really great. It's a lot of fun. I, I think this is just a wonderful, lovely, lovely story. Um, I guess my question is, is this true of everyone? Or is Randolph Carter particularly special as a, as a dreamer? Um, do all of us have these different... Are we all, all just a facet of one facet of ourselves? And we just don't have access because we're not dreamers? to these other universes and other perspectives uh, of our own existence or other facets of our existence. It's not really explained. Certainly Carter's special. Um, he's a particularly good dreamer. Um, we've seen plenty of evidence of that throughout the, throughout the series. Um, we even get to know a little bit about the different Randolph Carters out there, which is a lot of fun. Um, quote, a slight change of angle could turn the student of today into a child of yesterday could turn Randolph Carter into the wizard Edmund Carter who fled the Salem to the hills behind Arkham in 1692. Or that Pikmin Carter, who in the year 2169 would use strange means of repelling the Mongol hordes from Australia, could turn a human Carter into one of those earlier entities which had dwelt in primal Hyperborea and worshipped the black, black plastic Sothigua after flying down from Kremithel, the double planet which once revolved around Arcturus, could turn a terrestrial Carter into a remotely ancestral and doubtfully shaped dweller on Kithmail itself, or the still remoter culture of transgalactic Stronti, or the four-dimensional gaseous consciousness of an older time continuum, or the vegetable brain of the future of a dark radioactive comet of unconceivable orb orbit, so on in endless cosmic cycle. Um, just wonderful stuff here, wonderful stuff, playing with the... Uh, the concept of not even just four dimensions, but numerous infinite dimensions, inf infinite facets throughout time and throughout different universes. Now, if anything, the story gets a little bit more banal at this point, where he sort of settles down in Yadith and takes the form of the Yadith. Um, uh, so he takes this Carter facet. That's a, that's a Yadith wizard of sort. And he lives there through many, many ages. Quote, the age is longer than the brain a man could grasp since the beginning Beings of Yadith die only after prolonged cycles. After many hundreds of revolutions, the Carter facet seemed to gain on the Zakata facet and would spend vast periods calculating the distance of Yadith in space and time from the human Earth that was to be. So he's, it kind of reminds me a, a little bit like the mound or even the shadow of time as well, 
where you have a, a human existing in some other place or form who eventually gets bored with that and, and is destined to return to to his regular existence in the mound is not successful in um, the shadow of time eventually he does leave his Ethiopian body and it's just a, a distant memory uh, in his subconscious that those things happen to him um, but Randolph Carter eventually gets bored with Yadith and that existence and he comes f forward with this plan to return to 1928 um, which he which he does he knows he can't come back to his human form quite yet but he has to like translate certain books to figure out how to do that and so he has to like create this waxen mask and pretend to be a human essentially uh, learn to speak all over again with this other physiology which all is really convenient but because he is able to pose as a south asian put on that accent even though his he's got a slight still boston accent i guess uh, we're told at the end that someone says like, yeah, you're not really an Indian, are you? I can I can get a bit of Boston in your in your accent or a bit of New England in your accent. Um, but that's OK. That's it's fine. He so he's able to come back to Earth in in this form. And he wanders around. He actually comes back, I think, to 1930. Not exactly to the point he left at because he's not, you know, we're talking about thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. So he can't get back to the exact time, but he's pretty close. And um and that's it. And he's still waiting for the final conversion. Then we return to the nested narrative, the nested story. Um, and the people are like the, the skeptics, I guess. The skeptics at this meeting about the, the Randolph Carter estate. So after all this wildness, we're returned to the very mundane issue of like, how do we liquidate this, this estate? Do we have the legal right to? Is Carter even dead? We don't have any more of a body. We don't have proof he's dead. How can we do this? But we return to that that mundane topic, um, and we got the skeptics, and the skeptics finally start to say, "Well, something's not right with the story. How do you know all this stuff?" And you know, you're a little suspicious yourself. Your mask, your face looks a little waxy, maybe, or your your accent's a little bit off. You don't quite pose as a as an Indian, as an Indian Swami. And finally, he's forced to reveal that he is Carter. Um, so here's what one guy says. Hey, by heaven, I got it. This rascal is in disguise. I don't believe that he's East Indian at all. That face, it isn't a face, but a mask. I guess his story put that into my head, but it's true. He never moves and that turban and beard hide his edges. Um, so he, so he's been sitting there telling the story for, for like an hour or more and he hasn't moved. It's, it's kind of creepy. Um, this fellow is a common crook. He isn't even a foreigner. I've been watching his language. He's a Yankee of some sorts. And look at those mittens. He knows the fingerprints could be spotted. Damn you, I'll pull that off. And he says, okay, don't do it. You'll be horrified. You'll die if that happens to you. You can't see my true form. Uh, he says, I told you there's another form of proof which I could give if necessary. And I warned you not to provoke me to it. This red-faced old meddler is right. I'm not really an East Indian. The face is a mask and what it covers is not human. You others have guessed it and felt the... And I felt that minutes ago. It wouldn't be pleasant if I took the mask off. Let it alone, Ernest. And I may well as well tell you that I am Randolph Carter. But foolishly, they reveal the mask. One the person who sees it dies. And, and the meeting's broken up. Um, and the, there's no resolution to the estate. They can't agree on moving ahead on that with this new evidence. 
and um, the final fate of Randolph Carter is not even fully um, revealed. So there's kind of room for another sequel, uh, which I'm sure someone has written at some point. Um, but the person who looked upon his form died of shock after seeing it. So that's the tale. Um, there's wonderful stuff in this story, I think. It's, it's actually one of the better Dream One stories. And I don't know if that's Price's contribution to it. I know some of it certainly is with the, really the playing with mathematics and dimensions and the multiverse. Um, you know, I think Lovecraft was sort of getting there. He was having, he had like Shadow of Time. You have the Dream Lens, of course, throughout his career, but the idea of a true multiverse where we're all have different facets throughout time, that's, I think, most well-developed in this story, and it's great. It fits so much into the, you know, it's a great example of cosmic horror. Right, um, and it's very adventurous. You have a kind of a quest motif here, especially early on in in Chandraputra's story, where he's kind of wandering through, meeting the guide, and going through the gates and all that kind of stuff. And then you get to the really cosmic wildness in the middle of the story. And if anything's disappointing about the tale, I think it's it just becomes kind of mundane, where he sort of settles on Yadith for hundreds of thousands of years and just chills out. Um, before finally getting bored of that and wanting to return. Although I will say um, that that parallels very nicely the Silver Key because the Silver Key was all about someone being bored with this existence, right? Of course, Randolph Carter got bored with this existence just in 40 or 50 years, but he's able to hang out with the Yadiths for much longer. Um, but nevertheless, he gets bored and wants to use his dreaming abilities to return to another time. Um, and that's a great kind of callback to that same theme. Um, that we saw there. Um, the ending it's more, it sounds much more like Lovecraft to me because we've seen Lovecraft do the same thing before in Whisper in Darkness and the Shadow of Time. Uh, well, not so much in the Shadow of Time, but in the Whisper in Darkness with the mask covering up. Uh, I guess in the festival you have the same idea. So that seems to be a really Lovecraft contribution. But the the price editions are great. They, 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 these two make a really great... Uh, um, they collaborate really well, and it's a, it's a pity there aren't more stories in which they work together on as this closely, because it's, you know, developing the, you know, Lovecraft's mythos into in new ways. Um, now there are some racial things here that's worth pointing out. There's uh, the biggest one being the the attitude of these other men towards uh, this East Indian. He's called the N word at, at various times, um, but it's not it, it's you're meant to be critical of the people who use that terminology here. So it's not a racist tale, but we do have some racist characters, I guess. Um, at least it's not, it's not, uh, it's not like what we come to expect from some of the earlier stories. Um, I think making Randolph Carter an East Indian, which is the figure that even in out of the eons were meant to be suspicious and, you know, fear and, and a little bit nutty. Uh, here it's 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 our great hero of our of our of our dream one stories um, Randolph Carter so I don't know what to make of that it's just um, you know I don't know if, if, if it's Lovecraft uh, actually maturing out of some of his ideas about race and immigration or if it's just uh, he just likes the figure of the, the the mystic East Indian conveying this knowledge um, which of course we have seen before um, all right. Um, I guess not too much more to say about it. 
I'm, I guess maybe there is, but that's all I really want to say about it. I don't want to spend too much time on, on the revisions compared to the byline stories. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, but yeah, definitely one to read. Definitely one that I think, you know, leave, could have led to different places had Lovecraft lived a little bit longer. Um, so the next story, we're down to just three uh, stories to talk about. Um, the first of these uh, is William Lumley and H.P. Lovecraft's The Diary of Alonzo Typer. This seems to be one that, that Lovecraft significantly revised, although the original draft was by uh, William Lumley, who was, of course, we've seen letters uh, from Lovecraft to Lumley in our, in our look at the letters. So they were, they were friends for a while. Um, but yeah, so we got uh, The Diary of Alonzo Typer. And then after that, uh, Kenneth J. Sterling's In the Walls of Eric's. Uh, he was very young when he met Lovecraft, and and this is significantly revised by Lovecraft um, to help this young writer who was only 15 at the time. And then we have uh, the challenge from beyond, which is a, a round, round robin story. Um, so that one we'll do last. So just three more episodes before we move on to the Robert E. Howard letters and, and close up this series. So anyways, thanks as always for uh, listening to my thoughts about H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, let me know what you thought of, of Through the Gates of the Silver Key. It's, it's certainly one of my favorite revisions, and it's actually one of my favorite H.P. Lovecraft stories. Um, um, fitting, neat, It's nice to return to the Dreamlands uh, because we have been away from it for so long. Uh, there's such a memorable part of his early part of his career, you know, in the 20s. There's so many great Dreamland stories. And this one, I think it's better than Kadath. Kadath is just so dense with like stuff happening. You know, you go to this town and you meet this monster and there's this battle and it's packed. You don't really get to meditate on the cosmic weirdness as much as he does in this story. So I think that's a, a, a benefit to this one. So uh, I guess that's it for now. I will see you next time with uh, the Diary of Alonzo Piper. Thanks for listening. Gee, it breaks my heart to see you day after day turning away as much as to say you've never Sharing all your